Welcome to KidTech, the show that goes behind the scenes with the makers, movers, shakers, and influencers of the kids' digital media industry. I'm your host, Dylan Collins, CEO of Super Awesome. Today, um, I'm very, very pleased to be introducing this conversation with Chris Williams, founder and CEO of Pocketwatch. And in my opinion, one of the most interesting digital media companies in the kid space. Enjoy. This episode has been a long time coming. I'm incredibly excited to have this conversation uh, with Chris Williams, who is CEO and founder of Pocketwatch. Um, who is Pocketwatch? If you're listening to this show, you probably know who Pocketwatch is. And um, I would describe them as one of the leading, in fact, probably one of the iconic creator media companies in the kids and family space. Uh, that has taken YouTubers like Ryan's World, Love Diana, Onyx Family, many, many more, and turned them into global multi-platform stars. Chris, very welcome to the Kid Tech Show. It is great to be here. Great to be here. I, I am a religious listener of the podcast. I always learn something. You've had incredible guests on, so I'm, I'm uh, honored and psyched to be here. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Well, let's start with a little bit of history. Um how and why did you start Pocketwatch? Uh, you know, it's a pr it, it was a little bit of um, a little bit of science and a little bit of art. I would say I, uh, as a father, you know, was keenly aware of the transformational way my kids were consuming video. This was, mm. you know, you know, ten years ago, and I would come home from work and. Uh, you know, I would sit down in front of my beautiful big screen TV uh, and, and with surround sound and they would just plop down on the floor and fire up their iPhones and watch YouTube videos. Um, and that dovetailed with data that I was fortunate enough to have access to as the chief audience officer of Maker Studios, where I oversaw the largest network of YouTube channels in the world. And we had at that point been acquired by the Walt Disney Company. So I had access to Disney data. And what was clear to me was that um, Disney Channel ratings were falling off a cliff. And I don't mean a subtle evolution or deterioration. I mean, literally falling off a cliff. Uh, I think they're down 90% in the last decade um, and probably 30% just in the last year. I mean, like it's, it's, it's a pretty remarkable um, shift. And the access I had to data from YouTube represented probably about 5% of all of data on YouTube at that given moment in time. Mm -hmm. And I saw a massive surge of kids and family audiences on YouTube. And as a student of the Walt Disney Company and someone who had been on my, that was my second tour. Uh, I had sold them mm -hmm. a company um, earlier in my career called Take 180 and spent four years there uh, in an earlier career and have an incredible admiration for the Walt Disney Company, particularly in how they um, build and manage franchises mm. and, and franchise economics and all the things that go along with that. Um, and I would look down at audiences on YouTube where talent, characters, IP had bigger audiences than what we were seeing on Disney Channel. And what I couldn't understand is why weren't we putting the franchise machine to work against this new category of IP? 
And um, I had some great collaborators internally at Disney. I love the Walt Disney Company. It's the greatest media company ever. Um, but for better or for worse, if you're the Walt Disney Company, you can sit around and not innovate and not develop and wait for winners and then mm -hmm. acquire them by overpaying. And that's mm -hmm. just the bottom line, right? And so it was very hard and it always is to get the momentum inside a company at that scale to do something that is very different and requires some risk-taking. And um, while I did some cool things that certainly were the precursors to what I did at Pocket Watch, Pocket Watch launched you know, I had to leave Disney and launch Pocket Watch with a with a with a group of like-minded uh, both investors and, and executives, and um, uh, launch Pocket Watch to do just that. To basically, what if we treated these characters, stars, and IP coming from this these digital platforms, in particular YouTube, like global franchises, and treated them in that in that in that way. Um, and that was really the, the, the birth of the company. It was really against that thesis. I mean, it seems so obvious now, but I can't imagine that absolutely everyone you spoke to at the time got it or did they? Oh, oh nobody got it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, look, I had the good fortune of being a serial entrepreneur in the media space. And so like, you know, getting a group of investors um, wasn't that difficult because I had, had proven a lot as mm. an ROI, you know, investment. So um, people who I just made money on Maker and, and on Take 180 prior to that, where I was able to bring in uh, as investors, but they were more betting on me. I mean, I do say that that's, that's, that's typically how it goes with those early stage seed rounds is, is um, sure. uh, you know, they're betting on you. Um, and that, that can be difficult to, you know, it's, it's creates a lot of pressure, but that's, that's what they're doing. Mm. Um, so I didn't necessarily have to convince them. They liked my story. Some of my earliest collaborators helped me translate to the broader community. So folks mm. like John Moonves, who, who um, was one of my partners in crime from, the, from day one, Albie Hecht, one of my partners in crime from day one, right? These guys, you know, very strong um, um, reputations and, and inside the, the broader traditional media industry helped me convince some people. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we were creating a new category, right? And when mm. I think about what I'm most proud of, and it's been five years, I'm most proud of creating this category because the category not only benefited my partners, right? My partners being, as you described, Ryan or Onyx or Diana or, or you know, Hobby Kids or, or some of our newer ones, all, all our partners, right? It benefits them, but it opened doors way more broadly in the creator ecosystem mm. uh, by virtue of being the first through the door. So, you know, the, the massively successful toy line, the hit television show. And these were things people said you couldn't do. Like literally they said you couldn't do them. Like they, not only were they not sure or it was an experiment, there were many, many, many people who said this won't work. And um, so, yeah, we had to go through a lot of those um, smashes. Was, was, a lot of them. For, for, for the naysayers that, that said it wouldn't work was that based on what they would have seen previously with like the last generation of kids virtual worlds and things like that not quite translating or, or yeah was it i mean like just as an example you know ryan's mystery play date which which you know we believed 
was an integral component to launching Ryan's world into sort of stratospheric uh, mm. franchise levels was very important. And that was the Nickelodeon show. And it wasn't mm. so important because of the reach. It was important because of the adjacencies, right? Meaning it by being on Nickelodeon and not just on YouTube, it gives parents permission to like it more and mm. therefore indulge in more um, um, fandom around, uh, you know, help, help their kids access more of what they love about this particular star or IP. And um, look, up until the day that launched, I had people inside of Viacom and Nickelodeon still saying this will not work. And that was largely based on the fact that the notion of YouTube star on TV had failed, right? Mm. And um, to me, I'm like, uh, to me, those are always my favorite challenges because um, I'm like, it means not a lot of other people are competing against me or investing in it or like, you know, taking a shot at it. And it's like, yeah, you know, you could have bowed out, uh, you know, uh, the world could have bowed out of superhero movies when, you know, early superhero movies failed, right? It's like, but that sure benefited Marvel. Um, and so when that show launched and it was the biggest show on Nickelodeon and 40% of the audience of the premiere episode had never even watched Nickelodeon before, like we literally moved an entire new audience to that channel. It, 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 it proves a lot, you know, I think, um, but it requires a couple people with vision. Um, you know, I'd say we, we were fortunate in that Brian Robbins, uh, who had, uh, been the founder of Awesomeness and obviously a very experienced um, producer and director uh, had come on board as the president of Nickelodeon. That certainly didn't hurt as someone who had pioneered mm. and innovated a lot um, in terms of bringing YouTube to TV. Uh, that helped, uh, as well as you know people like Anne Marie Cahill at Walmart. Like, I mean, her um, um, really understanding the narrative and understanding why it would work and not just saying, hey, we'll give you like a couple products, but like, here's three feet, mm. like, you know, that was um, an incredibly bold move. Um, so it required, you know, convincing the people, but then having those people as champions um, right. to really create it as a category, right? And, and category means, there will be some successes and there will be some failures. There'll be some singles. There'll be some doubles, just like there is with TV and film. TV, by the way, mm. I say broadly to mean streaming at this point as well. Like it's just right, it's right. TV. Um, but, you know, now it's a category. Right. And, and how did you conceptualize of what pocket watch really was like did you did you from the beginning and, and i'm sure this kind of changed but did you think of yourself as or yourselves as a media company as like sort of like a sort of a, a new school kind of mca agency group a studio like did, did you yeah. what was the framework I, I look i love this question because it has changed a little bit over time i think initially we were very oriented towards being a content and ip company and that is what we are at our core today. At the end of the day, all things come off of success with content and IP. All things come from that. Um, and 
I think our early success, frankly, in something like consumer products distracted us a bit um, in that we began to think about, we over-indexed towards consumer products. And I think um, that was a bit of a distraction. And I think it was important to recenter ourselves uh, over the last, call it 18 months, around content and IP. And at mm -hmm. the end of the day, that is um, you know, building audiences around content and IP will drive all of our other successes, including franchise economics, which captures you know, everything from consumer products to gaming to live events to everything else. Mm -hmm. um, now, that doesn't mean we don't care about franchise. We care deeply about franchise. Um, and, and we model ourselves after Disney. We don't have the machine that Disney does, but we, we look to harmonize all the franchise elements in the same way that Disney does. So we're, mm -hmm. we're taking a long view and we're looking out three, four, five years and we're saying, okay, what elements are launching at what particular times and how are all those different elements harmonizing together to create more value in the whole thing of the IP, not just on each spoke on the wheel. So it's, it's very much um, a Disney model to harmonize all of those things. So for example, if I'm gonna launch, um, a, 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 you know, I'm gonna, when I think about something like, um, Super Spy Ryan, which is a version, animated version of Ryan that has both a content special on Amazon, it has a bunch of content on YouTube and through our OTT network of, you know, on 40 different platforms. It also has a line of um, um, consumer products that are specific to Super Spy Ryan. And then it has a, uh, a, a game that recently launched with Amazon Kids uh, Plus, their first ever uh, mobile game. Uh, and so how do like we're constantly thinking about how are all those things harmonized together to to create value, all the value around Super Spy Ryan, that version of Ryan um, that we can. So uh, so that they're kind of drafting all everything's drafting off itself. Um, and, and is that is presumably a function of necessity in terms of the audience just getting more and more fragmented over time. I mean, even like in, in, you know, over the last sort of five, six years, like that fragmentation has not stopped. Like it, it, it has continued. And, and, and I want to ask you about Roblox, but a little bit later on, but, but maybe like you can sort of comment on like how, when you think about those sort of virtuous circles that you're it's, creating. It's funny. Yeah. I mean, they, they, um, it depends on the age group we're talking about. Right. Mm. I do think um, younger audiences are a bit more stable, like younger on the younger side of the kids demo. So I do think about it like and when you say younger, you mean like what? Under under six under eight, under I eight. think is a little more stable. Um, uh, they are they are introduced to new types of platforms, but they're not all that different. You know, like, you know, my kids had Club Penguin and now there's Roblox like there's you know what I mean? They're sort of gaming the big chunks, like, you know, sort of consumption of media, you know, video gaming, like those, are, I don't know. And it's a little more stable. And in fact, I think their fandoms, at least at the moment are a little more stable. And, and the reason I say that is because when I started at Maker, let's go back, you know, to 2012, or let's say even before that, when I was started to really get into the YouTube world um, in 2008, Mm. Um, 
There was a reason at Maker I had 60,000 creator partners. I had 60,000 creator partners because I never knew who was going to get big and when. Right, right, right. By the time I started Pocket Watch, there was more stability hmm. in, in, in fame and in, in popularity that it just, it, it wasn't quite as fleeting. It would become more stable. And that made it so I didn't need 60,000 partners. I could say, I need, I have 30 today, right? And that's, that's, that's good. Um, if, and now it's even more stable. You know, that the top 100 okay. channels on YouTube, outside of shorts, which has sort of thrown a little, mm. uh, some, some things into the mix. Um, it really, you know, it ha- doesn't change that often. Mm. You just don't, mm. It's just a little more, it's more stable. Platforms, when you get to eight or above, I think start to really, those seem to cycle through. So like TikTok obviously is a major, major platform. Um, You know, I guess the FTC doesn't realize it yet, but for kids. Um, And uh, obviously, you know, there's gaming and and Roblox, um, which is pretty young, but not, you know, it's still probably eight plus. Mm. Um, so I think those younger audiences are, I don't sweat them too much. I think a little bit, the pandemic shifted some stuff. So I right. do think a lot about where the streaming services fit in now. Mm. And I think Disney with Disney plus has actually won kids back. So, you know, for that period, when I was talking about Disney channel ratings, completely, you know, falling off a cliff, they lost kids. And I don't mean like, kids in the context of big four quadrant movies that are going to get everybody, including mm. kids. I'm talking about kids for kids. Like, you know, where's the Hannah Montana or the Doc McStuffins or the, right. or the right. you know, that stuff. Like they lost kids, but a big opportunity for, for them to get them back. And they're showing signs of life and doing that. And that creates competition for YouTube. In mm. kids, ironically. Mm. So, um, you know, Netflix, I don't believe is really doing it. I think they're like, um, and is that like, in terms of, of of winning back kids and sort of caring about kids, like at a, at a level of creativity, is that a is that a function of DNA? Is that a function of history? Is that like what is that like? Because when you look at, because I, I think your description of of Disney is is very accurate in terms of like the transition they've gone through and w- with respect to kids content. What. What's I mean, your, I'm what's like, your... I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a student of Disney. You know, I, I just love that. I, I, I love studying Disney too. So, right. I mean, they, even historically, I mean, you, you remember when Disney Channel, for a period, Disney Channel was the tip of the spear of what Disney mm. was and what the Disney mm. brand meant. And like, I don't, I, people forget about that, but there were a lot of crappy animated Disney movies for like a period of seven, eight years. And during that period, you saw the rise of things culminating with high school musical coming out of Disney channel. Mm. And it was really the tip of the spear for, for, for a, a chunk of time there. Um, and until they sort of got their, they acquired Pixar, you know, Bob mm. came from Pixar and then that sort of changed the creative right. culture um, at the company and, and set them back on a path. But um, for a long period, Disney channel was it. And so I look at it as a cycle um, mm. And they, and they, you know, for a period there, I think they got very comfortable with, even before the digital grabbed their audiences, I think they were too comfortable with their formats, um, right. and not innovating anything um, on their formats. And they were just going back to the same old formula. And, you know, that leads to losing kids. And then Disney mm-hmm. Plus, 
you know, they, they start acquiring some content that works, things like Bluey coming mm. from the BBC and some Australian studio, I think, you know, crushing it. And, you know, I think that just starts getting them their groove back. Mm. And, uh, and do you think, I mean, we, we've seen almost all of the streamers kind of rolling out varying forms of kind of cookie cutter kids content strategies, right? As sort of a retention approach. Yeah. Like, do you, do you think they're all going to realize the same thing that that sort of Disney is realizing or is going through that they've got to they've got to go go a little bit further than that to really retain kids and have something that kids kind of care about and respect. I think there are a lot of conversations going on at high levels at major media companies that oversee streamers about the value of kids content. Yeah. Um, look, some folks don't have to worry about it. You know, Paramount Plus. Sure. They're good. They got plenty of kids content. They have plenty of kids franchises. They're good. Um, you look at somebody like Disney, they're pretty good. Um, mm. But I think there's a lot of conversations going on at the HBO Max's, Peacock's, um, Netflix's uh, uh, around the value of kids content. I think mm. they all realize it is good for reducing churn I think where they're not sure is it, can it draw in new audiences? And mm. I tend to believe it can, obviously in the data I had from Nickelodeon related to um, Ryan's mystery play date certainly went a long way to proving that it could. Um, so I don't know, I think we'll see. I think we're in a really interesting time. I think you had the acquisition of Moonbug by Candle perk a lot of people's attention up uh, uh, around kids content when you have two very high profile executives who came from Disney uh, who are pounding the table saying, you know, digital IP for, or IP for kids is extraordinarily important. And not only is it important, but digital IP primarily coming from YouTube for kids is the most important. Mm. And I certainly uh, fly that flag. Um, but for sure. And, and, and I feel, um, you know, Moonbug was very much built on a lot of the uh, a lot of what you guys established, you know, prior prior to that deal in terms. Of I, really I don't think Renee would disagree with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to get him on and, and, and ask him. Um, I want to talk about some of your recent moves because you've you um expanded your roster to more games focused creators yeah. um shane plays and gem sisters and, and dance books like that um can you talk about where you're going with that and 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 is that like does that reflect the future of kids entertainment does it reflect the fact that sort of gaming is beginning beginning to eat more of social and sort of displace a bunch of other things like how, how do you think about that, that um i i you know we think a little bit about our value creation model right is, is so it starts there so like essentially we're we're our one of the first and most important things that we do with creators is we look at them truly as creators and producers. And we say, hey, you're creating content of value. We want to repackage that content 
and bring it to many, 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 many more different platforms in a variety of different packaged ways, mm. a variety of different business models, and 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 get you more money for the same stuff you're already doing. Okay. The, on the on the platform side, the platforms they don't want to deal with individual creators. They will on occasion, but I'm not talking about Facebook and Snap. I'm talking about you know. Hulu and Sky and, uh, you know, um, Pluto and, you know, whatever, like all the curated platforms where you need deals and curation. And they're looking for reliable sources of massive libraries of kids content that can attract big audiences and engage big audiences, right? Uh, reliably and safely. And so, um, there's a clear value proposition for Pocket Watch sitting in the middle of that, right? And that is we work with the creators, we take their content, we repackage it, and then we put it on these other platforms, right? And, be, and, and so we have to look at it like a um, um, what a mix. What is the proper mix demographically, genre-based type of content? What's the movement within that? So you know, to your point, like gaming entertainment's been around for a while. It's not necessarily a new genre. Um, it's pretty stable. It's it 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 the the game changes and the personalities change. Um, but as a form of engaging content for kids and families, it's pretty stable. Mm-hmm. I would say one of the things that's changed is the way that the gaming companies look at it. Um, I mean, this is a little bit in the details, but like Nintendo for a period famously tried to shut down all content on YouTube that utilized their games. Right. So let's turn off, you know, 20 billion views a month of free marketing, right? Um, Now they came around uh, uh, eventually, but it took a while. Hmm. And so I'd say, you know, we had a healthy, we always want to be the gold standard on the legal side. And so, and whether that means, you know, compliance with, you know, FTC or, um, you know, how we manage COPPA and things like KRU, all those things, right. Um, S and P with particular platforms, all that stuff. We always want to be best of breed gold standard, uh, above the bar, um, and, you know, gaming represented a, a risky territory for us. And in, to the extent that we, we weren't sure where publishers stood when we first started the company. So, for example, even distributing content that contained Roblox um, off of YouTube, you know, that, that was risky. Mm-hmm. Um, it's become R- risky and, and risky, risky as in it was risky as in they. Not- in theory, they could um, go after companies that are doing it. Right, 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 right. Right. Um, now I think everyone feels comfortable, including the mm, distributors mm. that we distribute content to, because they haven't. Mm. Enough time has gone by and they, they haven't. They understand that it's good for them to have their brand embodied in video and distributed broadly and widely to kids everywhere that kids are. And mm-hmm. they get that now. But I think, you know, we wanted to get comfortable. So if anything's changed about our foray into kids and gaming entertainment, it's really on the game publisher side 
uh, I've always been bullish. So I've always wanted to, I've always known that it will perform consistently. I mean, and that's the, you know, look, that's the, that's the beauty of, of, of working with these established mm. successful creators, producers, and talent that are coming from YouTube is that they always attract an audience, you know, mm. that, that we're, that they, no matter what platform we distribute their content on, it generally performs. And is there like, have you noticed a difference in how creators think about their content and their distribution and even like themselves as a franchise? Has that, has that, has that evolved, improved, expanded like over the last few years? Yes, I, I think it has. I think that we've established at least a model to aspire to, and not everybody right. can be Ryan's world, but hmm. at least there's a model there, right? Not everybody's gonna have a balloon in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and a TV show on Nickelodeon and specials on Amazon and toy, you know, six feet of toys in Walmart and Target. Like not everybody's gonna have that. Um, but it has established a model that I think creates some aspiration um, hmm. and, and shows people that it's possible. And it really, it's creator by creator. You know, some, some creators are very focused on transactions. Like they just want to milk transactions as much as mm. they can in the quickest period of time. Those are not the partners for us. Sure. We are not transactional. We are looking at how do we create enterprise value in, in, in those creators and in new IP that we create with those creators that serve as the serves as kind of the basis of the, a franchise economic mm. you know, strategy and a franchise strategy like and that could take five years so you know you now we think it's worth it and we make massive investments in doing that uh, millions and millions of dollars uh, to do that but um, uh, you know, some people think transactionally and they'll just go get an agent and go slash and burn and, and, uh, you know, but, but we think about it much more about harmonizing all of the different elements from content distribution to French original IP and franchise building. How do we harmonize all of that to create the most success for the longest period of time mm. with our creator partners? Mm. And you've, um, also started working uh, much more closely with brands and advertisers over over the last couple of years, I think in particular. How are they, I mean, what's been your experience with them? Are they getting, do they understand more about how this space is working? Do they understand about the different places they need to be? Like, what, what's your experience been? Yeah, it's so funny. I actually think it's such a fast moving um, target mm. when it comes to kids and families, um, uh, you know, in part, especially on YouTube, right? Because fortunately for YouTube, they, they have the clearest lane into kids and families because they settled with the FTC and established a way to right. do it. So that, that actually gives them a, a clear lane and they're fully COPPA compliant, um, or at least as much as they can be. Uh, and so they have a fairly clear lane, but the thing about YouTube is it changes all the time. And it's so funny. I do feel like marketers um, are now at the point that they fully understand the value 
of reaching kids and families on YouTube. I do think um, now they've invested a lot in it and they found that it's working the way they're, they like to do it is not working as well hmm. because the algorithms are changing and they are, they're um, orienting away from commercial content, which they should, towards these principles of quality that, that YouTube is transparent about in the kids space. And, uh, and they have to think, now they have to like think of all new ways to do it. Like, so I, there's a, it's, and, and so we always are ahead. Like right. we're always trying to be ahead. And the one thing I, I as, as, a, as a business opportunity, what I like about kids and family advertising is that I like categories where the natural recipient of sort of the, the change and the evolution in that market isn't great at it. So it's like, when I think about advertising broadly from a macro perspective, television ratings go down, less ability for advertisers to advertise using television. They have to move their money somewhere. They typically think about digital as the recipient. And from that perspective, you generally get 80% of it goes to two companies, Facebook and Google. Hmm. Facebook and Google are really good at advertising when they can target individual users based on your data. When they can't do that because of restrictions, let's say COPPA, <laughs> and they have to bundle and target kids and family advertising against content and brands and IP as opposed to um, the individual user, they struggle. Mm. Like category, and by the way, Facebook, like no one's given them the keys to the kid's car, that's for sure. So I like categories where, where Google's a bit challenged. And mm -hmm. so we have been very successful because it's in our DNA. It's how we've done it from day one at packaging media and custom content, and then putting it across all the different platforms that we reach, including YouTube, where we have sales rights from Google and we work very closely with them, including onto YouTube kids. We have sales rights from our partners, our, our many of our creator partners, allowing us to, to, to utilize their ad inventory. And then we have things like mobile games, which you know very well, obviously. It's super awesome. We have 40 million downloads on our mobile games and you know over half a million DAUs. And we have uh, OTT channels that we have sales rights, inventory sales rights. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyone from Sling to Samsung TV Plus, um, coming soon, another really big one, but we, and then we can, we can package that all together through our agency clockwork and um, very safely and effectively reach uh, kids and families across all these different platforms targeted and adjacent to, and sometimes even containing in the media, the biggest, you know, and most popular um, stars and IP for kids. So, you know, I, I think it, it, it is, it puts us in a, a position where I'm, I'm, I'm investing in that. I, I, I believe in it. And obviously we always want to do it safely um, and compliant, um, but we've always been the gold standard from that perspective. We will continue to be the gold standard. You know, it's funny. I mean, it's a thing that people don't even understand. Like advertisers don't even understand. Like advertisers have to be educated on, on compliance. Uh, For sure. Yeah. And, and, and so they're like, 
you know, their lawyers draft some statement for some, you know, video to contain prior to it launching. And then they think, oh, we'll just make that the same across all things. But what they don't realize is that's not how it works. Like they don't even realize like, no, actually the channel has to have the same identical, um, irrespective of advertisers, the channel needs to have the same exact disclosure ahead mm -hmm. of everything. So kids begin to understand and fully understand that when they hear that message, they understand it's an ad. And like advertisers don't even understand that. So we're, we constantly get in these debates with them. We're like, no, we're going to use our disclosure language. It's the gold standard. That's what we have to do. And that's because you're not being compliant by put, plastering your message across a hundred different channels. Um, so we, 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 we could run a whole separate episode <laughs> on that topic <laughs> for sure. Um, I want to gear change for a second. If in it's 2022, I'm a, an aspiring kids slash family content creator, where should I start? What should I pick as my, my, my originating platform? Man, that's a tough question. Isn't I, it? I, I think it's harder than ever on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I will say that. Um, I'd say if you're going to start on YouTube, start with shorts. You know, they are over indexing towards shorts. This is strategically very important to them. And I know in kids and family, look, shorts don't monetize. Um, there's lots of reasons, you know, to, to, to ding them, but there, but in terms of the algorithm, it, it is definitely over indexing towards shorts because when you're YouTube and you're losing market share to TikTok, like, you know, you've, this is, right. it's an urgent all hands on deck. Like let's, mm -hmm. let's, let's get serious about shorts. Um, I suspect because of their clear lane into kids that at some point they will, they will even more aggressively look at how shorts can be done um, uh, with kids. I, I, I don't think they're there yet, but I, but I think that's something that will ultimately be important to them because they do have that clear lane. Mm. Um, you know, Roblox, I am fascinated by, I think it's early. So I, I look at it like YouTube 2011. Right. You know, it's, you know, these companies that are starting to form businesses on them, um, whether it's GameFam or Infinite Canvas or um, some of these others, they remind me a lot of the early days of um, YouTube. Mm. Uh, you know, Roblox is an open platform. So anybody can develop and create a game and put it up. Um, that in and of itself makes it very unique and very much like YouTube. It mm. monetizes through a rev share with those developers. Um, um, you've got uh, the most successful games for certain periods, often trading on existing IP, um, very much like the old days of YouTube. So like, mm -hmm. you know, um, Squid Game, right? Takes over, you know, it's a huge hit. And then there's like 10 of the top 25 games are all Squid Game. Um, um, and there's still a lot of, um, you know, I, 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 IP borrowing. You know, I, mm, I would mm. never, I, I think it's actually good for the brands and so for the IP, the underlying IP. So I wouldn't, I don't think anyone's going to go after it, but because it, it's very much like YouTube, same way they don't on YouTube. Right. But um, so it reminds me a lot of YouTube and it reminds me at a moment of time where Roblox thinks that in order for them to be taken seriously from a B2B commercial perspective, 
they need to um, have traditional brands uh, represented very aggressively on their platform. Mm. Um, and I, I think just like YouTube was ahead of head on that front. I think they're ahead. They're, they're, they're not ready for that, that it's mm. still punk rock. Right. It's still the audience there still is not ready for an overly commercialized environment with super polish and pretty things. And like, they, they, they want their down and dirty Roblox stuff. Mm. And, and so I think, sort of Roblox and the commercial environment is way ahead of where the audience is. You know, and, and, and this, the thing for me with respect to how I invest in it is it feels like those early days of Maker when I needed 60,000 partners. Right. And because, yeah, there's some established stuff that like seems to be sticking around, but most of it's ephemeral. It's, mm. it's big for a minute and then it's not. And then mm. maybe sometimes they can come back even. I've seen that. But, you know, there's a lot of shifting. So you sort of need, it's hard to make a bet like the, the type of bets we make on like Ryan and Toys and Colors and those kind of things because, right. Right. Uh, you know, I just don't know where they're going to be. In it might take me a year and a half to even have those first franchise elements hit, you know? And, mm. and I don't know where the underlying audience is in a year and a half where I'm much more confident on platforms like YouTube. Right. Um, but I, but I love Roblox. I mean, I think, I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, uh, but it's, it's, it still feels very early days to me. Yeah. And do you like, there's, you've got there's kids, a... you got kids very much like YouTube reminds me so much. It's like, you've got like teenagers in their parents' garages earning like a quarter of a million dollars a month. Right. Which is right. like, and they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. It's like, right, right, right. right. You get well, a lot of that. And I was, I was kind of about to ask that, like, do, do you, from a creator perspective, do you, do you think, do you differentiate between, you know, kids making interactive content like Roblox versus like linear. Yeah, no, I do. I mean, is, is that, I mean, I, yeah. obviously there's a difference, but, but yeah. is, there a, is there a creator mindset difference? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they have, they share a lot. I, 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 I believe that they share, they have a lot in common. Um, and I do think, you know, the, the, there are certain elements of working with digital creators that, that seem to, be the same, you know, and, mm, and again, mm. I, I don't want to paint, I don't, I don't want to paint every creator out to be the same, but they they share certain attributes and traits that have gotten them to where they are. They're typically perfectionists. They're, you know, they, they have anxiety that like, it'll all go away tomorrow. Right. Um, that, that, you know, there's certain things and, and that working with them means really understanding how, how to address those anxieties, how to like, you know, I, I'm often working on things that are intended to create stability. You mm. know, one of the things that I've always, and, and, and I, Roblox hasn't, hasn't quite seemed to have done this yet, but like, you know, one of the terms that I've, I dislike very much is YouTuber. Mm. And because it just, it seeds so much power from the creator to the platform. You're calling yourself a YouTuber as if without YouTube, you're nothing. And like, that's not true. And, and so, you know, a lot of, 
what we think about is, how, you know, especially with content, it's distributing it way more broadly, obviously. Um, mm. But, you know, it's like you're just ceding so much power when you do that. Like, I, I don't mm. you know, Roblox hasn't quite, I don't know what Roblox developer, you know, teen Roblox developers call themselves, but hopefully it's not Robloxers. Um, I don't uh, think so. But I, but I, I can, I, you know, you have to, they, they do share similar traits. They, they share these yeah. traits of, um, of, of, of anxiety of think, you know, of being in an unstable environment at the whim of one particular platform that makes one algorithm change and it, you know, destroys right. your business. Right, right, right. Um, last question, Chris. Um, if you were starting Pocket Watch today, what would you be doing differently? 2022, you're starting Pocket Watch and you want to build with the same, I suppose, some of the same aspirations. How are you doing it differently based on what you've learned? I do love this question. And of course, I would do some things differently. Um, <laughs> I'd acquire Coco Melon. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't do that much differently. I do think there was a period where we, um, I'd say that the, the startup mentality of mm. just a relentless moving fast, mm. I think there were periods that we should have probably slowed down um, a little bit to, to better formulate some strategies for moving forward that kept us focused on our core being content and IP. And I think we, again, we got distracted a little bit. Look, part of that's personnel, part of that's, there's just a lot of reasons that ha that happens. Part of that's just, you know, it's human nature. You sort of go where you're seeing some, you know, and we saw very significant success fast, sort of mm. moving into that, but I would do that differently. Um, um, you know, other than that, I, I would say it's more probably, you know, like some tweaks in who I partnered with. Like, and so the mm. Cocoa Melon thing is sort of just emblematic for, yeah, I should have had some more in preschool animation. It's essentially what that means. Right, right. Um, but I, uh, I, you know, I don't think I would do that much differently. I, I, um, I've had great partners, great creator partners, great commercial mm. partners, great investors, um, um, you know, look, the pandemic, you know, almost half the life of the company has been during the pandemic. And right. I would say that that is hard, yeah. um, for so many reasons, but I can't change that. If I could change that, whether there was a pandemic or not, I'd say no <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> That's an sure. Sure, sure. Do, you um, do you think when you think about the ecosystem you operate in, like, there's been a bit of consolidation in the kids space, but not like a huge amount. I mean, is there room for more pocket watches? Do you expect to see more? Um, or have you just sort of gobbled up? All no, I, I, I do. I expect there to be. I mean, it's the truth. People ask me this often, like, like, like who our competition is, like, so to speak. And the truth is, it's it's. From a category perspective, and you know this well. There is a natural moat around it sure. related to um, it's a landmine of policy, regulation, um, PR. Um, you know, it's just a, it's got huge landmines all over the place. 
And it tends to keep a lot of people away and it doesn't monetize that great <laughs> relative to other audiences. And so, you know, and that generally keeps people from focusing in on, on it the way we have focused on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say when we experience comp- competitive situations, it's usually not apples to apples because, you know, again, we are, you know, we think long-term. So if we're com- in, you know, if there's a creator who just wants to create transactions, but we like them and think they can serve as the basis of, of a long-term franchise, you know, that, that, that brings up some questions to how we, how we manage and deal through it. But typically it's not, the com- competition is, is, is not necessarily us and an agent. It's, it's, it's transactional versus long-term. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, that's, yeah. And, and that's really up to the creator because we don't want to get too involved. I think more, you know, there could be another, there are people doing some stuff, you know, electric monster is kind of like scratching a little mm. bit more of the moon bug model, more acquisition. Mm. Um, I tend to like our model better um, than the acquisition model. Um, uh, you know, that's uh, just me, right? I I, mm. I love being able to create value for all these digital creators for one. Um, and it gives me a portfolio that's pretty flexible with respect to the type of content I distribute and the type of original IP we create uh, with these creators. Um, there'll be more there'll be more Mm. and there'll be more consolidation too i'm sure Mm. i'm sure i mean that's just the current environment is bigger is better um and you have a lot of money still on the sidelines that are looking at you know investments that that roll up different aspects of kids Mm. uh, kids space for sure um yeah, no, there's still there's still plenty to be done, I think. Yeah. Um, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, Chris, Chris Williams, CEO, founder of Pocket Watch. Thank you very much for an excellent conversation uh, on Kid Tech today. My pleasure. My pleasure, as always. Great to uh, see you and hear you. Um, I don't think the audience knows this, but I can see you. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, have me back anytime, man. And hopefully I see you face to face soon. For sure. For sure.